Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Uh, what a week, huh? Uh, Dave asked me like a month and a half ago, like he said, to do this message, and there's no chance uh, we could have thought this would happen, um, and this is where we would be today, so what what an exciting time, um, and it's very appropriate, honestly. This is actually really timely um, for where we're at. This is the series that we're in. We're, in, um, we're going through the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah is a story about a, uh, a prophet. Um, and he uh, runs from God, and uh, hold on, i got to get something real quick. Um, but he, here we go, got the wrong slides. But yes, so we're in Jonah, and uh, yes, he's running from God, and here we are here. Uh, he gets this message from God, he's a prophet, and he's running. Um, I love this image that Dave gave last week. This is... <laughs> This is the lengths he would go not to follow God's will. Um, he's, he's going that far from Joppa all the way over to Tarshish, which is in modern day Spain. But um, yeah, God gives him this message and this job to go speak to the Ninevites, um, people that he absolutely hates and despises for a number of reasons. We talked about it last week where it's more of like an identity piece. His religious identity is something that gets in the way of him being able to listen to God and understand what he's doing through Jonah and his mission for the city of Nineveh. Um, And that leads him to this place where he's running to Joppa. He's on this ship and he's asleep at the wheel, which is a good uh, metaphor to use. But um, these people to... uh, uh, you know, kind of save them, or to save themselves, you know, they, they ask, why is this happening? Um, and they realize that it's Jonah's fault, and they throw him into the water, uh, which is great. Um, poor Jonah. Uh, but he's there, and he's, uh, this, the storm stops as soon as um, he's sent there. He gets swallowed by a fish. He gets spat back out by a fish, and uh, goes to Nineveh, preaches his message. We'll get there next week, but there's this underlying question that we are kind of using um, as we walk through this, uh, and it's, are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemies? Certainly, Jonah is not pumped about this idea that God wants to um, you know, use Jonah and speak to these people in a place where he just entirely disagrees with and loathes and just despises. Um, so, you know, what is happening here in chapter 2? We're there uh, in chapter 2. We're in the belly of the fish. That's where Jonah gives this great poem. Um, we're, yeah, we're there. Uh, doubled down on that great slide. Um, but yeah, so that's where we are today, and that's where Jonah gives this prayer. Um, and if you listen to it and you heard it, as you read it, uh, it's ultimately a, a prayer and a poem of gratitude. So how can Jonah have gratitude in a moment where he's there uh, in the belly of the fish. Um, But before we kind of dive into that um, and we uh, move forward into the message, there's this metaphor and this concept that Dave brought up in the first couple of weeks. Uh, It's this idea of mirrors and being able to see ourselves in the story. And the story uh, that we're following today is reflecting back to us some things about ourselves 
And in this story in particular, it's probably not the most exciting thing to see because Jonah is very disobedient and he's getting himself into these really, really difficult places. Um, And what's hard to kind of understand is that if we're seeing ourselves in this, we're going to find that there's, there's consequences for some of the things that we are running from and run to instead of God or following God's will. But um, the mirror concept is, is really important. And there's, if you go to a movie or you're watching a TV show or something like that and you uh, are really, you know, kind of uh, enamored with it and you're in the zone, you know, you're watching it, you're in that world and that reality and then you leave and then you realize that, oh, okay, I have to go back to my daily life now. That stinks. I'd rather stay there. Um, you know, we, we kind of have that um, concept. And in, 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 this, uh, in Snow White, this is the evil queen. Uh, I didn't know who that was until yesterday, but I know the idea of the mirror. Um, and... <laughs> The mirror is uh, this thing in, in Snow White where uh, the evil queen looks to for um, affirmation of what she's really looking for, the salvation, right? In her, in her beauty and her desirability, she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? She's looking to, for this affirmation of like what she finds most valuable. Um, her salvation is her desirability and her attractiveness and how other people see her. Um, in Harry Potter, shout out Harry Potter, one of the greatest film series of all time. Um, we've got uh, Harry here. There's this mirror in there. It's another famous mirror in stories too. It's this. Um, it's the mirror of Erised. It's just the word desire backwards. It's nothing too crazy. But um, when you look in it, you see what your heart longs for the most. Um, and for him, it's his parents who were killed when he was a little kid. Um, you know, and his friend Ron looks in it too, and Ron sees, um, he sees like social status, he sees popularity. Again, all of these things that you look to to find your meaning and your purpose in life. And these are fantasy mirrors. These are not mirrors that, how, they don't work how real mirrors operate. If we look into real mirrors, we're pretty, a lot of the time, if you're like me, you're not that stoked about what you see. Um, <laughs> And uh, I had an example of this earlier this week, which is actually like super funny. Um, I went out to go shop and I went to Panera to get some food. I was gone for like an hour, hour and a half. And I I get back and I see myself in the mirror and I had these wings. Um, Those are way smaller than they actually looked in real life. They were just out. And I was gone for, again, like an hour and a half in public, just winging, um, full wingspan. Uh, not, Not the greatest look, Zach. Um, but that's how real mirrors operate. It's a cheesy example. But again, they show us this reality. And this is what the Bible shows us as well. It's these things that we're not that excited about. But if I were to kind of ask a question to me when I get back from that trip to Panera and shopping, it's like, wouldn't you rather have like known the truth? Wouldn't you rather have been told what reality is as opposed to getting some sort of half answer or a pat answer or a nice answer that can keep you from you know, being in touch with reality and knowing what is true. So when you look at these mirrors, when you're talking about Snow White and you're talking about Harry Potter and you're talking about these, these mirrors that show you what is not real, you know, it's hard to come to grips with that. But when we're in Jonah, we have to be able to learn to see what's true and real because situations like this and times like this where things are kind of so crazy and so bananas that we don't really understand, you know, what's going to happen next and how much is in our control. Um, it, it can be scary, but thankfully, this is how God shows compassion to us through hard stories like Jonah by giving us the truth about ourselves and the truth about him. So we need to be able to see ourselves in that if we're to move forward and follow Jesus. Um, that's why the Bible's there. So 
Um, as we get into it, um, I'm going to Bible nerd out for a second here. Um, this, is, this is Jonah here um, giving his prayer and his poem to God, talking about where he's at, again, in the belly of the fish. Um, you know, he goes through all these different things of where he's at, how he's feeling, and he offers that up to God. But again, to Bible nerd out a little bit, this isn't anything that the common Jewish person would, would not understand. They would be looking at it and they'd be taking a lot of these cues um, as to Jonah indicating where he's at. And where he's at is just the complete opposite of what the Jewish people believed was uh, where they find life and where they find God. Um, and to go back to page one, verse one through two of the Bible, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over, uh, was over the face of the deep, sorry, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, so in verse two, when it says the earth was without form and void, that's before God's life-giving power and his spirit get there, and there's just, there's craziness. Um, it's, it's disorder. It's this idea of chaos, and it's this motif of chaos that's going to be seen all throughout scripture, um, and it starts here on page one. And the Bible is a narrative. It starts on page one, and there's certain different types of stories that are told, but it's this story that we find ourselves in right here, right now, today. Um, and this is the beginning of it, and it's showing us here on the first page of the Bible that there's, there's chaos, and there's disorder, and until God's Spirit comes, um, there's not going to be any sort of order or life, and he brings life out of the chaos. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about this, too, is if you were to get into the Hebrew, um, when it talks about darkness being over the face of the deep, that's talking about water. And it's a word used for water where it's, it's crazy. It's talking about like how Jonah's talking about it. Waves are billowing, billowing over him and they're crashing over him and they're drowning him and, and things are just uh, bananas. Um, and uh, until the spirit comes, the water's there um, at the end of the verse. Uh, two different forms of water, but the second one is more of the life-giving water, one that has order and one that has um, laws and it's restrained as opposed to, again, the chaotic abyss. Um, so somebody who's reading this story in ancient Israelite time is reading this and understanding that um, Jonah is in this place that is the complete opposite of God's presence. Um, just to hammer it home, I made this font red. Um, there's distress, uh, no peace, the belly of Sheol. That's this idea and the word for hell back then. Um, it's this idea of a place where you are, you know, it's the land of the dead, um, the deep, that's the same thing as those, the abyss, as the chaotic waters. In the heart of the seas, surrounded by the flood, remember Noah. Um, your waves and your billows pass over me. Crashing waves, chaotic waters. Driven away from his sight, uh, God cannot see him. Uh, the waters closing over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The idea that he can't breathe. And the air is the same. Air and spirit and breath are all the same word. And for the weeds to be cutting him off, his idea of being cut off from life and from being able to communicate and have this relationship with God um, closed upon him forever. That's a horrible, horrible image. Um, but that's where Jonah knows he is. And to emphasize it even further, there's this... Old, again, I'm Bible nerding out, so bear with me. This is fun for me. Uh, maybe not the best. Um, but it's uh, this mythological creature um, called Leviathan. It's mentioned in the Bible as well. In Job 41, it's this kind of giant sea monster dragon that um, is sort of 
lord of these chaotic waters and of the abyss. And Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. Uh, Same idea. He's in the heart of the lord of separation from God and in the furthest place. He even talks about, too, being away from the roots of the mountains. Um, God's holy city was on a mountain and he is underwater. Again, just to push home that idea of being as far away from God as possible. Uh, That is a horrible, horrible place to be. And for Jonah, um, it's, it's too much. Um, and it's a lot. So what I, what's really difficult about this is that, to re, you know, refer back to the mirrors, is these things that we look to for our salvation, this is where they lead us, ultimately. Um, and that's the really, really hard thing to learn, is that this is where we're going to wind up. We may have been here already. We may be here now. We may find ourselves there in the future. Um, but if we have things in our hearts that take priority over God and over God's will and over God's love and his word, this is where we're going to find ourselves. We're going to find ourselves separated from God and in the complete opposite of where we're supposed to be and where God wants us to be as well, which is in his presence. Um, and that's, uh, that's difficult to hear. Um, There's this author named J.I. Packer. He has a book called Knowing God where he brings up three truths that kind of, that about our culture that undermine our, um, our need for grace as Christians and as followers of Jesus. The first one is this idea of what's called a moral ill desert. Um, what he's referring to here uh, is, um, again, this, this concept that is in our culture of, of self-truth. This is, I can decide for myself what I value. There's nothing objective. It's all subjective. It's up to me. There's nothing objective about reality. I kind of am the one who decides what's right for me and for other people as well. Um, and I think I would just kind of throw out there, how's that working out in like the political climate? There's so many things that are undermining, uh, you know, again, this, this, if we're following Jesus, we don't have that option. We have a king and we have a word that we follow and we submit ourselves to. We do not submit the word to ourselves. We submit ourselves to the word. And again, if we're going that opposite way, uh, we're going to find ourselves like Jonah, who is, again, using his religious identity uh, and using the Bible to support himself rather than to follow God's will and go to a place where he doesn't want to go to bring God's word and God's will um, to life. And that's really, really difficult. Um, He also brings up this idea, uh, this other truth called spiritual impotence. Um, our inability to save ourselves is really what it comes down to. Again, if you go back to those mirrors, if just I had that relationship in my life or if I just had those certain things, um, the fame, the success, if I had the attractiveness or the beauty, which we all know is going away, we're all going to die, we're all aging. That is one of the truths about this world that is so hard to hear. However, we cannot save ourselves no matter how much we try and whatever thing that we run to. That is a really, really difficult truth for our um, culture to hear, but sometimes we need to go to those places, however. We need to be led here, and in a weird way, this is kind of compassionate because what this does is it is the beginning of what is like a um, spiritual formation, right? It's this pruning process. If you go to John chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Pruning, 
for us if we are those branches and we're bearing or we're not bearing fruit. It's because we have these things in our lives that are taking priority over God and our um, submission and our willingness to follow him. Uh, These things that we run to other than him, uh, we need those pruned away. And thankfully we have a God who does that because we can't do it ourselves. But God does do that. And pruning, again, painful. Like you don't like the idea of things getting cut off from yourself, especially at a spiritual standpoint. Uh, You know, if you guys have been there, you understand that there's this clash and there's this stubbornness that we all kind of have innately in ourselves. And that's what sin is. It's this condition that we've got that keeps us from being able to follow God well and to stay in his presence. Um, However, thankfully, in his compassion, he prunes us and he takes us through this refinement process to help us grow closer to God. And again, this is a grace. You know, if you look into Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, this is where our life begins. At the end of our life, this is where we can learn where to find it. This is where God comes in and he offers himself to us through his salvation. Matthew 10, 39, again, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. It's not until we get to the end of our ropes here to where we realize our powerlessness and our inability to save ourselves as well as what we're looking to to save ourselves that we are able to understand who Jesus is and how important and necessary grace is. We can't do it ourselves. Um, And Jonah remembers this. Um, He remembers in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I I remembered you, Lord, and and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Um, The idea of remembering the Lord uses a Jewish idiom here, and it's Um, It means to kind of call to mind his character. He's remembering all of these stories from the Bible, from Genesis to Exodus, all the way through to where he is now, whenever he is that he's reading these ancient scriptures. He's calling to mind God's character, and God's character is that of salvation. He leads the Israelites out of the desert. He leads Abraham and his people to the promised land, or he offers them that promise and continues to fulfill it um, through the birth of Isaac. There's these chaotic moments that come up over time, and God is always rescuing us from them. And sometimes those are of our own making. Sometimes those are out of our control. But regardless, that's who God is, and that's what his character is. And Jonah's remembering this. Um, moving on to verse 8 and 9, uh, you know, he kind of touches base on what we're saying, is that if we're listening to these idols, these vain idols of our hearts, these different things that we run to as opposed to God, um, they're going to lead us to these places, and they take place of God's steadfast love, but remembering his character again, this is where the gratitude comes in. Um, With a voice of thanksgiving, I will uh, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, Verse 9 is the key to this whole poem. Um, It's the word salvation. Um, The Hebrew word there is called hesed. Uh, and that is bringing to mind, uh, again, it's a key biblical word here. It's translated as steadfast love or grace. Um, he's referring to the covenant love of God here. Jonah, again, is reminded of his character, and he's reminded of the fact that it's God's job who saves. You know, if so many, there's so many people that I know, and myself included, who have ran to my own, to making myself my savior. My job um, for me was to save myself in this, that, or the other thing that ultimately were vain idols and they led us to horrible, horrible places. But he's remembering God's job. Again, this place, being in the belly of the whale, um, reminds him of his powerlessness. And where do I find that power to be? I can't be saved. Who's going to offer that to me? And that's, that's God. And he has that in his mind here. Um, 
And mirrors, you know, they're showing us, again, these things that we run to as our salvation, right? If you were to look into it, what is it that you're going to see today that is, you know, kind of taking over God's place in our lives? And um, again, there's so much going on in our culture and in our world right now where we can kind of see these things and they come up. But, um, you know, I can argue that for these guys here that they're looking to things that are so temporary and ultimately unfulfilling and we need an answer to that sort of thing because life is difficult and death happens and we will all be there and we are not immune to that sort of thing. Um, There's this poem that I heard, uh, again, a very timely thing for me to be told uh, by a friend recently. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Uh, It was by a poet from the 19th century named Francis Thompson. And it's this, he hears this story of a a man, of a person who is so perfect, um, who is so faithful and so loving and so kind and gentle that he can't get this idea out of his head. But he's thinking to himself, you know, it's just a story. I don't, it's not real. That's not true. But the idea won't leave his head. And he starts to go throughout his life and he starts seeing this person in things like nature and in the wind and and in people. And he, he can't get it out of his head. But he runs from it because he realizes that if he were to let this person be true and be, you know, a real figure in his life, that there's a cost that comes with it. We can't just let somebody like that be a part of our lives without responding in a way where we change and we have to say no to certain things and where we have to let some of these idols that take place in our lives stay there. That is not possible because that kind of a person demands that kind of priority in our hearts. And he keeps hearing though, as like he describes it as a hound, you know, the footsteps behind him chasing him and he's running. He's running from this person because of the cost. And he runs to different pleasures, different ecstasies. He even runs to doing good things for other people because that's going to be how he finds his value. But ultimately, again, those things are vain until he accepts this person into his life. Spoiler alert, this is a metaphor for Jesus. Um, (laughs) But he lets this person into his life, and until he accepts this person's acceptance, he cannot find peace, and he's going to be running and continuing to run to these things that ultimately lead him to a horrible, horrible place. And how deceiving are some of these things, especially the idea of doing good works, if you rewind one chapter and you see Jonah, this is somebody who is respected. He's, um, you know, he's mentioned in other places in the Bible as being by the king's side. People would look on this person and say, you know what, you're doing a good job, Jonah. Sometimes doing all of these good things and earning our own salvation uh, doesn't last. Um, and again, this is why this is a grace for Jonah and a grace for us to realize these sorts of things. And it's not until Jonah realizes that uh, it's just God's job to save him that he spit out uh, onto the dry land. Immediately, right after, the next verse, that's where uh, he finds himself. But what is so cool about this, too, is that, you know, when he's drawing God's character to mind, you know, I think of Exodus 12. Um, Exodus 12 is the story of the Passover. And in that story, um, the Israelites are, um, they're impending, this, this plague is coming that night. And they're instructed to put the blood of a, a blam, of a lamb, not a lamb, of a lamb without blemish on, uh, they need to put the blood on their door. Uh, and the blood of the lamb is what covers them from the angel of death that night. And if you don't do it, your firstborn son would die. And if you did, the, the angel of death would pass over you and you would live. Um, and what is crazy about that is... Um, you know, that's, that's who Jonah is remembering, and that's, 
that same exact thing that we need. In, in Matthew chapter 12, 38, um, to bring it forward to where Jesus is now, um, the Pharisees ask him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answers them, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached to them. And now something greater than Jonah is here. So how is it that when Jonah confesses whose job it is to save and submits to God's will to save him and others, how is it that God can do this? Well, Jesus is talking about this right here. He's talking about himself, and he's indicating that Jonah is a precursor to Jesus here. Um, Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days, but he gets spat out. Um, Jonah's in this place, again, that's furthest distance from God. He's, he's, in, he's getting a taste of hell, separated from God's presence, from his sight, from all life, underneath the wind and the waves, these things that are absolute chaos, and he's... he's, he's He's in this place again that God seems to not be able to reach, but when he cries out, God hears him. But if you go to Jesus on the cross, um, you know, you see him crying out Psalm 22, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jonah was able to be rescued here because, um, and to be heard here because Jesus was not. Because Jesus was forsaken and left to be swallowed by death, we're able to be, get, to be spit out. And because uh, Jesus was swallowed by death, um, Jonah is able to be spat out. It's Jesus who does this. He's that lamb without blemish that saves us and gives us that ability to have life and life to the full, as John puts it. Um, he's that necessary sacrifice we need. And that's, that's God's character. All throughout the Old Testament, there's these indications in Scripture of, of God being the one who's going to save by sending his son, Jesus. And, you know, we, again, don't want that. We, we want to be able to save ourselves by discovering our own truth and giving ourselves our own values and um, saving ourselves through all these different things where we find our meaning and our value and our, our, our identity in things that are ultimately temporary. Um, but they're futile, and they don't lead to any sort of life. And that's why we need Jesus, and we have Jesus here. Um, personally, uh, I've been there. Um, you know, I started, um, you know, again, to kind of like get a little personal here, I started drinking and using drugs when I was like 15 years old. Um, and I continued to do that until uh, as like a young adult, uh, until a few years ago. Um, and I reached this point of, of powerlessness where uh, I realized what I was doing and what I was using to save myself was these different substances that gave me a break from reality. And ironically, it wasn't until I saw myself in a mirror one day that started that journey of recovery for me. Um, I saw myself in a mirror one day and I did not recognize who I was. And I'd even had a, a prior moment of where I had come to Jesus I'd understood everything that I had learned in grade school and what salvation was, but I wasn't done with that yet. And I still had these things that needed to get pruned and removed and refined out of my heart. And I still need to do that every single day. But when I saw myself in there, all of this truth caught up to me of what my reality was, not who I thought I was in my own head or who I thought other people might think myself to be. But again, 
one of the worst, like I, I, it felt horrible, right? To be there and to see how empty these things that I had sought for such a long time um, were, were silly and foolish and empty. And I felt that way. I felt empty. I felt unlovable, hypocritical, selfish. This whole, you know, cocktail of horrible, horrible emotions. And, um, you know, that's again what started. It was such a grace to have that moment though. Um, and I think anyone else who's in recovery will tell you that sort of thing. It's the best thing that can happen to you is to get to this point of powerlessness and to learn that you need help. And that's okay. Countercultural for sure, but we need it 100%. We need that. Um, and, you know, I would say too that if you're in that place or you might find yourself in that place, you're going to get to a point too in your life where you might reach that point of powerlessness. God has been with me and God was with Jonah um, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. This is not a place that we have to stay. We have life and it's there for us to accept. Um, And that is the beauty of this story and the beauty of being able to find gratitude and suffering in the furthest places from God. We're still able to call out to him and to find Jesus and to understand that he saves us. We do not save ourselves. Um. So, you know, today, again, uh, with everything that's going on in the world, you know, this is unprecedented, right? Like, there are so few people who kind of have been in a situation like this. And, you know, as I've talked to some people about what's going on in the world, too, um, you know, a lot of people are still, this is the first time they've gone through it as well. So, in a way, this is kind of like that chaos. This is a place that is unknown, and and we don't understand it. And we might start looking to different things. We might start blaming the government for not saving us or to other people for not helping us or this, that, or the other thing. And while some of those things are right and good to look to, they're not perfect and they're not going to be our perfect salvation. And as people who follow Jesus, we understand that we know where our salvation is, that whatever happens, our future is secure. We know where we are going to wind up regardless of what is going on. And what's beautiful about this moment is that as this chaos is going on throughout the world, we have this beautiful opportunity to be, instead of little agents of chaos who are spreading panic and fear, as a lot of people seem to be, um, we can be the complete opposite of that. We can be people who love one another and are willing, you know, uh, I heard it earlier this week, I think it was Dave who said it to me, of for every hand that we don't shake, that's a person that we can call, you know, and, and check in and let them know that we love. Um, and even if it gets to this point where, you know, don't, be, don't be silly, like, right, like wash your hands, you know, be responsible like we were talking about. But, you know, this is definitely not a time where we need to not be loving one another and not be willing to go to some places where we might not feel that comfortable going. But there's beauty on the other side of it, as frightening and as scary as that might be. But again, you know, we need to remember that our future is secure. So um, God's love of neighbor, that's certainly our will for us. And you know, again, as we kind of move out of today and into real life again, as this kind of continues to either grow or to die down, whatever it might be, even if this was not happening, this is still God's will for us. So um, we have this wall back there where we're kind of going through um, certain moments uh, of the book of Jonah and relating it to our week of compassion. And back there on that wall over by Jacob, uh, Hawaiian salute everyone, Jacob. That's great. There he is. Um, we're going to have this opportunity to talk about a few things and to write on this card if you want. Um, how has God been compassionate, compassionate to you? What's he delivered you from or what are you grateful for? 
Gratitude is the antidote to moments like this. We have the, we're here right now worshiping Jesus and hearing good news about situations like this. Amen? That is, that is wonderful and that's a beautiful thing. So let's remember that as we go forward. And, you know, if you're in a place as well where you're not really sure how this is landing, uh, we're going to have that ability to pray over there at the end. Uh, go talk to somebody. Talk about the things that you see in the mirror that, you know, you're looking to that are hard to let go of. And, um, you know, we as a church community, that's our job is to help one another throughout those moments. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's finish up and pray. Father, thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that we can make it through these moments that we understand that you're there for us in the belly of the fish and that we can be grateful for moments like that as well as they're beginning to um, lead us closer and closer to you and to help others get to that point as well. Um, Lord, be with us and help us to spread your love in a time that is crazy um, and that we need you more than ever. Uh, and in your name we pray, amen.